0: And can I begin by thanking you very much indeed for having me over this weekend. You've given me a lovely welcome. It's been great uh, meeting many of you individually. You've made me feel very much at home, so thank you uh, for that. Uh, I hope you've left your rooms tidily. (laughs) I'm reminded of the small boy who used to leave his room in a terrible state, and his mother kept on nagging him and saying, oh, please do something, and it never worked. So one day when he'd gone off to school, she left a note on the pillow purporting to be from the bedroom. Uh, Dear Johnny, I feel so embarrassed and ashamed. All the other rooms in the house are beautiful, neat and tidy and people come and they coo and they are, they say how lovely and then they look in to see me and they feel there's been a nuclear holocaust or something like that and I'm just so ashamed. Please do something. Lots of love, bedroom. Uh, Johnny came home from school that evening and he went upstairs and she heard him moving around, came down for tea, didn't say anything, or moving around. They went off to school the next day And when she went into the room, it was beautifully neat and tidy. It was absolutely perfect. And there was a little note on the pillow which said, Dear Bedroom, I hope you feel better now. Lots of love, Johnny. P.S. You're beginning to sound like my mother. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Somebody asked that I might mention some of the um, uh, top ten books uh, that uh, I recommend. I tend to say this to to students who are getting out in the Christian, uh, setting out in the Christian uh, life, and suggest that if they managed three a year, they'd be doing well. But they would be things like Pilgrim's Progress, though I now have got uh, the CD of it, so that I try to listen to that once a year, because I think it's so great. Uh, Knowing God by uh, Jim Packer. I'm not prepared to lend my copy, I think it is so brilliant. Uh, John Stott, in reviewing it, said he had to turn aside and worship as he read that book the special wonderful chapter on being the sons and daughters of God Uh, the cross of Christ Uh, we've got to go on coming back to the uh, cross and John Stott's magnum opus the book that he felt was his most important work uh, the cross uh, of Christ Uh, keep in step with the spirit Uh, the cross the Holy Spirit are issues that we need to be aware of uh, today so keep in step with the spirit again by uh, Jim Packer, uh, understanding the Bible, John Stott said that was the book that uh, most helped. He was most helped with by the Lord as he wrote it. I think he produced it for the, the Centenary of the Scripture Union. Though so taking God's Word seriously by Kevin De Young runs that a short, uh, quite closely. Um, Holiness by J.C. Ryle. So you've got there the doctrine of the cross, the doctrine of scripture, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, uh, holiness, <clears throat> then there must be something on prayer, a call to spiritual reformation by Don Carson, where he goes through Paul's prayers in, in, in the letters. And then after that, you probably ought to be moving into um, biographies of some sort, and <clears throat> a missionary biography. You ought to know uh, the story <coughs> of uh, Hudson Taylor, uh, g- going to China, and a bit of church history, again by J. C. Ryle, Christian leaders of the 18th century. So you've got some devotional things like um, holiness and prayer. You've got major doctrines. You've got some uh, uh, biographies as well, and then beginning to read some uh, commentaries. That was about eight, wasn't it? There were a few more to, to come. Uh, we're now back to Zechariah four, and uh, let me let me pray. Lord Jesus, help me to uplift you and by your mercy uphold me for your name's sake. Amen. Uh, In chapter 4, we've got the the fifth of uh, Zechariah's visions and he keeps on asking for uh, an explanation. You see it there, verse 4, what are these, my Lord? Again in verse uh, 11, what are these two olive trees? You've got it there again in uh, verse 12. And you remember the scene. Uh, the year is 520 BC. Uh, they've returned to Jerusalem 15 years ago. They found the place pretty shattered and the, the uh, temple in ruins. Um, and, and the problems are in, enormous. They weren't mere molehills. They were mountains. Verse uh, 7, oh great, a mountain. Uh, a mountain of rabble that needs to be dealt with. And they'd been quite good at getting their own homes and houses in order but they were rather less good in getting the temple underway. So Haggai and Zechariah set about stirring the people up and we've seen that uh, prophecy has three horizons. It's the initial one they're coming back to Jerusalem and the rebuilding then the second horizon the Lord Jesus himself and then the third horizon paradise restored the new heaven and the new earth now, from our chapter now, what we want to work out is how is the kingdom of God, how is the proclamation of the gospel, how is the evangelization of Hampstead and uh, UK to be, uh, to be undergone. And the golden lampstands that he talks about here, verse um, uh, 2, I see and behold a lampstand all of gold. The golden lampstands stand for the people of God. Uh, That is for us, it's Christians, uh, St. John's, Downjah Hill, uh, all those who are seeking to pass on the good news, and we are to be lights of the world. And from our chapter, there are three tremendous encouragements. Here's the first. God's work, that is the spread of the kingdom of God, uh, the spread of the gospel, at St. St. John's, Downjah Hill, in uh, Hampshire, in, sorry, Hampstead will be achieved in his strength. And verse 6 is one of the very great verses of the Bible, which I take many of you will have learnt to heart. Verse 6. Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to to Zerubbabel, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. I was of the generation that was largely brought up on the um, cross and the switchblade. I don't remember the story. David Wilkerson, who was a pastor in New York, um, gave up watching television for two hours every day and prayed instead and began an outreach to the various gangs in New York. And uh, this was his great verse, not by power nor by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Throughout the, the scriptures... God is very, very concerned that his people shouldn't for a moment imagine that they can achieve anything or bring things about in their own strength. Um, If you've got Bibles with you, you might like to turn to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy, as you know, consists of three pep talks that uh, Moses gives the children of Israel before they go into the promised land. And in uh, chapter 8... He's telling them to uh, look back at the lessons learnt uh, in in the uh, wilderness. He's telling them to look out for the uh, glories that are going to happen when they they get into the land of milk and honey. But he's also telling them to look out for the dangers. Uh, Verse 11 of chapter 8, Deuteronomy. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full, and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply, and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers didn't know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. So back in uh, Zechariah, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Uh, There's always been a temptation. What happens is that a great work of God is done and the people involved in it are asked to write a book about it. So Charles Finney was asked to write a book about revivals and how he achieved revivals. Uh, It's happened with the church growth movement or the purpose-driven church. You know, they just described what, what they did or the tendency. Whereas God saying, oh, it's through Zechariah, no, it's not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So that there are those who think as long as we've got the right program, the right structure, the right vision, the right building project, uh, the right fundraising scheme, the right recruiting drive, the right staff appointments, the right advertising campaign, uh, the right administration, then it'll all happen. Well, there's a place for all those things, but actually it's not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit says the Lord. Uh, so the <coughs> Paul in 2 Corinthians 10 says, uh, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We're not going to use those things. The cynic uh, Voltaire said, God is on the side of the big battalions. That uh, when um, the church has got enormous armies. Uh, but that that's not the case. Nor is it a question of the church having lots and lots of money. You'll remember that... Um, uh, Simon Peter was asked to uh, give some help to somebody and he has to say, this is um, uh, Acts chapter 3, verse 6, Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ as Nazareth, rise up and walk. There was a pope, Innocent II, who had masses and masses of money and he said to Thomas Aquinas, who was with him, you see, Thomas, uh, the church can no longer say, silver and gold have I none. Look at all I've got. And Thomas Aquinas said, no longer can the church say, get up and walk. So having all that money, having bishops in the House of Lords, having all the right strategies, must come under the realisation that he has got to do the work. Now, this doesn't mean laissez-faire. We've got to prepare, we've got to plan. But God will achieve his purposes Through His Word, through His Spirit, it's the Word, the sword. The the, the Bible is the sword of the Spirit, so it's not a question of the sword or the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit. And you'll remember that um, Martin Luther was asked, "How is it that the the Reformation is spreading so fast?" And he said, um, "Well, Philip Melanchthon and I just teach the Bible, and then we sit back and we drink our Wittenberg beer." And the word does the work. And Dick Lucas said to me a number of years ago, why is it something that so many of these young men are so sort of uh, frantic and sort of hurry with all their their, their visions and their their plans and so on? And then he answered his own question. He says, basically, they don't trust the word. It is the word that is going to do the work. It's what happened at the Reformation. It's what happened at the great Wesleyan uh, revival. (coughs) So uh, God's work... For the, sp- the spread of the kingdom in Hampstead, the Hill area, is going to be done not by might, nor by power, but by his spirit. <coughs> Second encouragement. God's work, kingdom expansion, often begins small. And then the other key verse in chapter 4 that you probably learnt by heart is uh, verse 10. <coughs> For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. So putting it there yeah, positively, don't despise the day of small things. And it's very easy to do that. You say, we're, we're realists. What, what can we do? We're, we're just like grasshoppers up against giants. Can't expect anything to happen. We're mere flea bites around the world. We're such a tiny minority. You're just enough to sort of keep the show on the ground. Now, almost without exception... Great works of God have begun small and have often remained insignificant for some time. And the Lord Jesus uh, said that uh, in his parable of of the mustard seed. It began very, very small. Um, And some great things have taken place without any advertising. There was a book that was constantly in the bestseller list um, many years ago, Captain uh, Corelli's Mandolin. It was never advertised. It was just word word of mouth, and it uh, it it got going. Uh, there's a remarkable verse in um, Isaiah 41. If you've got your Bibles, you might like to turn to it. Isaiah 41, and verse 14. Fear not, you worm Jacob. This is Isaiah 41, verse 14. Uh, Fear not, you worm Jacob, you men of Israel. I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Behold, I will make you a threshing sledge, new sharp and having teeth. You shall thresh mountains and crush them, and you shall make the hills like chaff. So when God wants to move a mountain, what does he do, verse 14? He uses a worm. That's the way he operates. And not with the the big battalions, uh, but uh, not despising the day of small things. And similarly that a man on a cross, hanging there in ignominy, nakedness, shame, degradation. Eleven frightened disciples uh, in despair in a despised uh, province of the Roman Empire. Hardly the way that uh, Tesco or Toyota or Credit Suisse would uh, launch a campaign. Or... A solitary monk 95, uh, nailing 95 theses to a church door stuck away in, in North Germany. Going to celebrate that in a big way uh, next year. Uh, a cobbler going off to uh, India, uh, William Carey, launching the great missionary movement of the 19th century. A tract read by a lama in some little village in uh, in uh, China which he takes home and as a result of reading that tract the London sparrow Gladys Aylward is invited to the lamasery, and she has a week of explaining the Gospel just a tract read by a Lama and so it goes on a dozen men praying for seven years in the office of a honey merchant Tony Kimpton, 1954 had uh, been back sliding uh, felt he was going mad in the middle of the night got out of bed, prayed, came back to the, the Lord he said look our local church is doing a lot for my wife and uh, children but here I am working alongside men in the city we must pray for them so he got together a little group and they prayed faithfully for seven years and then remarkably St. Helens Bishop's Gate became available most of the churches in the city are post fire churches and therefore they were built by Christopher Wren. They're small and beautiful. The the, the fire started um, west of St. Helens, so St. Helens is a large medieval church. And normally those churches were given to semi retired clergy. Uh, but Tony Kimpton was on the court of the merchant whose gift it was, and Dick Lucas is invited. And Dick Lucas was said that he'd never have gone to St. Helens if it hadn't been for lay folk who were going to give. And pray, and bring, and very often when for, for clergy have gone to start lunch hour services, they haven't really taken off. But Saint Helen, Saint Helen's was a, a lay movement based on those seven years of uh, praying in the honey merchant's uh, office. Two old ladies uh, praying away, praying, 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 and they were praying for Deal Moody, and then Deal Moody came over, and a fantastic. Uh, missions that he, he, he led but two old pe- uh, ladies praying and you probably have all read out of the black shadows um, you know the story uh, this young man in Zimbabwe he's deserted by his uh, m- never knew his father deserted by his mother when he's three he's brought up by aunts but he can't stand them so he leaves home when he's 10 he forms a gang called the black shadows they live under bridges. They eat out of white men's dustbins. And then they say, right, let's do something positive. Let's go and um, blow up a meeting. So they make some handmade uh, bombs, and they look around for the next big public meeting. And it's a meeting, it's a gospel meeting of, the, um, of, of a missionary society. They say, right, we're going to do this. So they go in. They say, "We'll just wait for the first uh, 10 minutes, and then we'll throw our bombs. And in those first 10 minutes, Stephen Lungu is converted can't read or write, uh, but uh, people undertake for to teach him how to read and write, and to hold a knife and fork and all that sort of thing. And he then becomes the leader of Africa Enterprise, following on from Michael Cassidy. And many years later, he is uh, preaching in a Methodist church, and two old ladies interrupt him. Mm-hmm. he says, "Go sit down. I'll talk to you when I finish. no we want to talk to you now. please sit down." He'd never had that sort of interruption before. And they insisted on coming up, and they showed him the, their diary. We prayed today for the conversion of a gang leader, and he looked at the date, and it was the date I think thirty years before when he had gone uh, to that Dorothy mission and to being converted. Two old ladies praying away. Begin small, and then there's a great things. So despise not the day of small things. And then the third encouragement. God's work, God's kingdom depends, hinges on the anointed ones. The lampstands, that's um, us, uh, to be a light to the world, uh, but they need to be fed uh, with oil to be keep a, a light. You, you've got that uh, in verse 3, uh, uh, and, those, and there were two olives in it, one on the right of the bowl and uh, the other on, on the left, and you've got it more in verse 11 onwards. Then I said to him, What are these two olive trees on the right and on the left ham- of the lampstand? And a second time I answered and said to him, What are these two branches of the olive trees which are beside the two golden pipes from which the golden oil is poured out? He said to me, Do you not know what these are? I said, No, my Lord. Then he said to me, These are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. What are these olive trees? They are the anointed ones. And in the context of uh, Zechariah 4, there are two anointed ones. There is Joshua, uh, the high priest, who was so prominent back in chapter 3. And there is now Zerubbabel, who's of the royal family. We're told in Haggai that he's <coughs> a grandson of King Jehoiakim. So you what, ha- you what you have here is a prophet and, uh, uh, and a priest and a king. And both figures are necessary for producing the oil for the lampstand, They're both necessary for the restoration. In the Old Testament, uh, the king, the princes, and the priests had to be separated. You couldn't have the same person doing uh, both functions. But they point forward to someone who will one day be a, a priest and a, a prince. Incidentally, the folk at Qumran, the Essenes, some of them were expecting two messiahs, One who would be the Davidic uh, son of David, the great king. The other who would be the the, the prophet, the priest, the suffering servant. Now what happens is that when the Lord Jesus comes, he breathtakingly combines both those roles, both as great David's greater son and as the the priest who's going to offer a sacrifice. Now, if you've got Zechariah open, just turn on to uh, chapter 9. I said at the start that uh, Zechariah was the prophet that is most quoted in the Passion narratives. And uh, you, you've got that straight off in chapter 9. Uh, Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so the Lord Jesus rides into Jerusalem, fulfilling the prophecy of uh, the king coming on a donkey. But then, perhaps even more remarkably, turn on to chapter uh, 12. You'll remember that when Jesus was on the cross, um, they wanted to make sure he was dead because they wanted to take down the bodies before the Sabbath. And... uh, they came to, to Jesus they had broken the bones of the other two and the captain of the guard said no, no he's dead well to make sure I will stick a spear in his side and they did that and from it uh, out came blood and water and John says this was to fulfill what the prophet Zechariah said but what does John Zechariah say verse, uh, chapter 12 verse 10 I will pour out On the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. And John says this is fulfilled of the Lord Jesus. Though John says they will look on him. But God is speaking and says they will look on me whom they have pierced. And then chapter 13. On that day when he was pierced there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. You know your Leviticus? Blood cleanses from sin, water cleanses cleanses from uncleanness they stuck a spear in his side and out came blood and water so he was the truly anointed one and therefore we sing there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains dear dying lamb thy precious blood shall never lose its power Till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. So do you get the picture from Zechariah 4? We are the lampstands uh, individually and as a, a Christian church, St. John's down Hill, to bring light to the area, to bring light eventually to the nation. And it won't be by might or power, <coughs> but it'll be my, by my spirit, says the Lord. So no credit to ourselves. Uh, despise not the day of small things. You may think that things, some things are very small, but despise not the day of th- the small things. Most great works of God begin quite small, like that mustard seed. And everything depends on the Anointed One, our Prince and Saviour. And he will not fail us. He will not fail. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we are given in this chapter the ways that we are to go forward in your service. And we thank you so much that it's not going to be by might or power, but it will be by your Holy Spirit. Please forgive us if at any stage we seek to take glory or congratulations to ourselves. Help us constantly to be praising and adoring you. Thank you for this encouragement that we're not to despise the day of small things and that even if a work seems small and fragile it can just be the beginning of something very, very great that develops. And once again we want to praise you for the Lord Jesus that he was willing to be pierced for our sake and that from him flowed out blood and water water, to cleanse us from sin and uncleanness. We pray that we will continue to stick very close to him, confident that he will not fail us. And for all this we praise and adore you in his precious name. Amen.